Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 223, St. Pius V. And sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So I'm super excited for today's Pope because, as you heard in the intro, he is a canonized saint. And we haven't had one of those to talk about in a long time. Over a year, in fact, of these episodes, if my calculations are correct. So here it goes. Let's talk about St. Pius V. He was born in January 17, 1504, and named Antonio Glissieri, the son of a modest middle-class family outside of Milan. He discerned a call to religious life from an early age, and he entered the Dominicans at age 14 and took the, name, uh, the religious name Brother Michael. In 1528, he was ordained to the priesthood, and he studied the theology of St. Thomas Aquinas, most likely in Bologna. After ordination, he had various assignments as a teacher and more pastoral settings, including as a chaplain for a convent of Dominican nuns. In October of 1542, he was assigned to serve as the representative of the Inquisition in Pavia, a role he served in multiple Italian dioceses. At this time, with the Protestant Reformation going on and efforts at church reform taking shape in Rome, Brother Michael was called upon as a teacher of the truths of the faith, and that got him noticed in Rome. He was tasked with numerous high-profile cases of investigating heretics in the Italian diocese on behalf of Rome, including a couple prominent bishops. His thoroughness, his determination, his willingness to do a full investigation even when his life was threatened, won the esteem of the cardinals in Rome, in particular Cardinal Carafa, the future Pope Paul IV, and the chief of the Holy Office of the Inquisition at the time. He convinced Pope Paul III to appoint Brother Michael to a position as a commissioner of the Inquisition in Rome, which the Pope agreed to in June of 1551. When Cardinal Carafa became Pope, he then appointed Brother Michael to be the Bishop of Sutri, a diocese in northern Italy. Then, a few months later, in 1557, he was named the Cardinal Priest of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva and the head of the Roman Inquisition. Now, we talked two episodes ago about the overbearing and harsh inquisitorial style of Pope Paul IV, and in this, Cardinal Gussieri was his prime assistant. He shared his patron's desire to root out heresy from the church and to ensure the correct teaching of the faith take place everywhere. And this included high-profile cases against cardinals who disagreed with Pope Paul IV. So when Pope Paul IV died, Cardinal Glissieri, however, allowed those cardinals to be freed. And when Pope Pius IV was elected, he seems to have directed the cardinal to take a more moderate inquisitorial stance and to back away from some of the more dictatorial moves that had been made by Pope Paul IV. This didn't sit well with Cardinal Glissieri, who made his complaints about the new pope's lack of zeal to Pope Pius IV directly, and asked that since he disagreed with the pope, if he could have some time off, maybe a couple of months, since there didn't seem to be much for the Inquisition to do. And the pope uh, apparently smiled and said, sure, you can have time off two, three months, or forever. Though he stuck around Rome for some time, he was gradually pushed out by the pope and appointed to a diocese in northern Italy. That being said, Cardinal Lucieri still had an enormous influence in the church. He was still on the inquisitorial kind of board, and his uh, protégés had been appointed to many prominent places in the Roman authority. Cardinal Lucieri, even away from Rome, and at one point the Pope even took away his Roman apartments so he couldn't stay at the Vatican on his trips to Rome, he was still a major player and kind of a thorn in Pope Pius IV's side. When Pope Pius IV died in 1565, not many were thinking that Cardinal Glissieri might ha- make the ultimate comeback. He was not a politician, 
it was too zealous for reform and for the truths of the faith, it wouldn't work. But the king of Spain apparently liked him, or at least had been growing to like him, and the cardinal nephew, St. Charles Borromeo, liked him as well. Plus, he was fairly old by this point and sickly, he wouldn't last too long. So Cardinal Borromeo made it happen, and on January 7, 1566, Cardinal Glissieri was elected pope and took the name Pius V, which is a strange choice because he didn't get along well with Pope Pius IV, but he made it as a token of thanks to St. Charles Borromeo, Pope Pius IV's nephew. This very inquisitorial picture of Pope Pius V that we've had so far shouldn't blind us to his genuine holiness and piety. When he was made pope, one of his first actions was a large and generous donation to the poor, and he took his role as the shepherd of the church, especially in Rome, very seriously. He was prayerful, devout, humble in his dealing with others. He was not nepotistic, and he cared very dramatically for the sick and the poor. There's a story that an Englishman who was visiting Rome was converted to Catholicism, seeing the Pope kiss a poor man covered in sores. In particular, he was solicitous for the church in Rome, and unlike past popes who were so enmeshed in foreign policy, he made personal visits around the city early on as its bishop. He brought in reform-minded clerics to reform the city of Rome first, following the teaching of the Council of Trent, and then to be an example for other dioceses. He instituted CCD in Rome for children. He clamped down on areas of immorality in the city. He held monthly opportunities to hear from people complaining about how the city was being run. Pope Pius V's task was the implementation of the Council of Trent, which had just concluded, and the continual struggle with Protestantism. Much of this reform work had been started under his predecessor, and he brought it to successful completion. But what then he started in Rome, he encouraged abroad. He sent visitors, apostolic visitors from Rome to urge the reform of dioceses around the world. The Pope published the new Missal and the new Breviary. He implemented the liturgical reforms of the Council and published the new Catechism. A major challenge was in Germany, where the Emperor Maximilian II was trying to hold on to his authority and wanted to water down the faith enough to get the Protestant princes on board. The Pope vehemently forbade Maximilian from making any such concessions, and he won, and the Emperor backed down, which shows the influence of a Pope like Pope Pius V. The situation was not as good, however, in England, where Elizabeth I had come into power, overturning the resumption of Catholicism in that country that her sister Mary I had implemented. Mary's husband had been Philip II of Spain, who the Pope was close with and who had a claim, kind of through marriage, to the English throne, or at least wanted to influence things in England. Pope Pius wrote what is now a famous proclamation, Regnans in Excelsis, which deposed Elizabeth, using what was, you know, we've seen in the past, this papal authority to depose um, rulers. And he released all the citizens of England from their loyalty to the Queen, hoping that this would encourage them to rise up against their Protestant rulers and encouraging Philip II to invade and to help that process. Philip prepared to do so, but his attempt was rebuffed by the weather when, again, his now famous Spanish armada was destroyed in passage. Elizabeth and a lot of her subjects who didn't like foreign pope, telling them to give up their queen, even if they weren't huge on Protestantism, they reacted by moving more quickly in that direction. Elizabeth used this opportunity to crack down on Catholics in England, resulting in the martyrdom of countless priests and missionaries and recusant families, including the great St. Edmund Campion. So this whole ordeal and the Pope's interaction in it probably was a mistake. The other incredibly important event of his papacy was the Pope's work in promoting the defense of the Christian West against Turkish aggression. The Ottoman Turks had been conquering the island of Cyprus, and they had besieged the last Christian holdout on the island. And when the Christians surrendered, assured of safe conduct to Venice, the Ottomans reneged on their deal, imprisoned most of them, and then killed their commanding officers, displaying their heads on the masts of their ships. 
The popes had for decades now been trying to get Europe together to defeat the Turkish threat, which had been marching steadily west through the Balkans and taking many of the last Christian holdouts in the Mediterranean. And finally, Pope Pius V was able to get some small ragtag alliance working. The combined Christian fleet was commanded by Don John of Austria and set sail from Naples to try and defeat the Turkish navy. The Pope blessed a special banner and sent it to Don John, and then he implored the people of Christendom to pray the rosary for the success of the venture. The Christian fleet met the Ottoman fleet on October 7, 1571 at Lepanto and the coast of what is now Greece. At the last second, the wind shifted in favor of the Christians, who soundly defeated the Ottoman navy in close combat. It helped that once they boarded their ships, most of the Ottoman ships were staffed by slaves who had been Christian, and when they were freed, they helped defeat their Ottoman overlords. It was a huge victory. You have to remember that for almost a century now, the Christians in Eastern Europe had only lost, and the Ottoman advance through the Balkans and in the Eastern Mediterranean seemed totally unstoppable. And Christian countries couldn't stop fighting each other enough to defend Europe from the Turks. The Pope was ecstatic, and he gave the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Rosary all the credit for the battle. He dedicated October 7th as the feast day of Our Lady of Victory, which we now celebrate today as Our Lady of the Rosary. Pope St. Pius V did not live that much longer after the victory, less than a year, and he died on May 1st, 1572. He was buried in the Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore, and he was beatified by Pope Clement X, and canonized in 1712 by Pope Clement XI. He was succeeded by Pope Gregory XIII, and we will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you.